let's get the elephant out of the proverbial room. All right. How many of you know we don't want to, as a church, we don't want to fall into either extreme? Remember I talked about the drunk guy trying to ride the horse, all right? We don't want to fall off on the left. We don't want to fall off on the right, all right? Here's how we fall off on the left. We do not simply say, hey, you know, elections don't really matter. Jesus is still on the throne. That's a half-truth. Yes, Jesus is still on the throne. How many of you are excited about that? All right, yay! Yay! And yes, elections really do matter. They really, 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 really matter. So we're not going to minimize that. We're also not going to fall off the horse on the other side and pretend that the future of America depends on any particular person elected to office. Because God is on his throne, and there is a larger narrative behind the scenes, and God really is moving all of human history towards his amazing climactic conclusion that involves all of us, and the good news is we win, and we're going off in a blaze of glory. We're not going off sizzling into the ground, all right? So that's the good news. Now, there is a saying in the sports world that the game's not over till the fat lady sings. The fat lady ain't sang yet. I'm just telling you that, all right? This is what every believer should want. And I'm trying to speak to you not from a, a D side, an R side, or any other policy or a particular party side. Listen to me. Every one of us in this room should care about the integrity of our processes and laws. In other words, there should not be a different set of laws for different people, and God forbid that we would ever have an election in this nation that we could not trust the outcome of the election, because that would be a situation in which the people's voices have not truly been heard, and when the will of the people has not been enacted. So all I'm saying is, every one of us should care about corruption, every one of us should care about fraud, every one of us should care about transparency, and are you ready for this? When all that is clear, and every Every vote has been counted and all the bad votes are discarded and we have a, a clear winner, we should all humbly bow before the Lord who exalts those and sets others down and we should worship the Lord because God is on his throne, God is working and God is doing something in our day and many times he doesn't always get our opinion about it or what we like or don't like. Isn't that sad that God doesn't call me up and say, Pastor, what do you think? He doesn't ask me that. I wish he did. I got some good suggestions for him, but he, he doesn't take me up on that. So here's the deal. Pray, 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 pray. And continue to stand and demand, demand integrity. Again, I'm not making a political statement here. I'm saying that the entire faith and confidence in our system of government hangs in the balance when we have multiple levels of, of you know, I, I, I just got to tell you, if I hear one more person or one more sign, if you have this on your Facebook, forgive me. It's not because I saw your Facebook. I'm just, just asking you, forgive me in advance. We're all in this together. No, we're not. We have, we have double standards that abound, and I'm so sick of the double standards. Some of you might have seen my post last night. Notre Dame won in double overtime. Some of you are like, who cares? Well, it was, a, it was an amazing game, double overtime. And as should happen at a moment like that, the entire student body 
crashed on the field, and a giant mob formed. Social distancing, nowhere to be found. And my comment was, I'll see you all in church tomorrow. (laughs) It's time we keep living our lives and we living our lives boldly and fearlessly because that's the people of God. I'm seeing some faces out there I haven't seen for a while. Man, those faces are looking good. Good to have you all in the house. And I I have to retract. You know, I, I made the comment for service that last year the Lord gave me the entire year's worth of sermons, at least in topic, laid out before the year even happened. I was so excited about that. He's not doing that this year, and it's really ticking me off. Um, Every week I'm going, hey, Lord, what would you like to say to your people this week? And I think the reason he's keeping me hanging is because we're in for the ride of our lives. And, uh, and, uh, And a lot of this is going to be fresh off my heart through the hopefully the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God, of course, to encourage us and to speak into the situation and times in which we find ourselves. So I told you last week we were ending the Unalienable series. <laughs> now we got one more week, all right? One more week. And then we're moving into Thanksgiving, and we're going to give thanks to the Lord because He is worthy of our praise. Amen. I don't know about you, but this week I was practicing what I preached last Sunday from the Psalm, Psalm 71. But as for me, I will always have hope, and I will praise him more and more and more and more. But as for me, how about you? I will always have hope, and I will praise him more and more and more. That's going to be my uh, pathway to victory this year. You know, when election night came, I was, I was quickly seeing the handwriting on the proverbial wall. How many of you know when you get to be a little bit older, you go, you know what? I don't need to sit and watch the indecision till two in the morning. I'm going to get a good night's sleep because when I wake up, nothing will have been decided or changed. And uh, so I went to bed or at least tried to go to bed. And then my wonderful son, Jason, invaded our bedroom. I love Jason. I love raising kids who love Jesus and who have a heart for God and who get it and who think and who want to make a difference in their generation. Jason, where did you hide? You were over here. Where'd you go? There's my son. So if I look a little tired, it's because we were having an important discussion at the foot of my bed at midnight and thereafter. And this is what Jason said. He said, Dad, what am I supposed to do? Now, how many of you know that is a really great question? And I wish I would have had a simple answer for Jason. I'm going to try to flesh out because I realize that the question he asks is not the, that's not the first time that question has ever been asked. And can I just tell you, I told you last Sunday, controversy is our friend because controversy causes us to focus on where we draw the lines and what we believe in. Controversy brings clarity to who you are and why you're on planet Earth. And let me just say, for a 20-some-year-old kid, how old are you, Jason? 22-year-old kid. I would have figured it out if you gave me enough time, but I don't have enough time. I got to keep moving this morning. For a 22-year-old son to be saying, Dad, with all seriousness, basically, what do I do personally? What is my role? 
It reminded me of that book that I used to teach biblical worldview. It's a classic book by Chuck Colson. It's called How Now Shall We Live? That's what I want to preach on this morning. How Now Shall We Live? That phrase comes out of Ezekiel chapter 33, and I'm going to read it from a couple different translations just to give you a flavor for it. But here's what the people asked. Surely, they said, our law-breaking and our sins are hurting us. Can anybody say amen to that? They will kill us. Can I just remind you, ideas have consequences. They either kill you or they bless you. And can I remind you, ideas only come from two sources, from the mind of God or from the pit of hell. Just chew on that for a little bit. They only come from the mind of God or the pit of hell. Bad ideas, bad living, law-breaking, and sin will kill you. And then they ask the question, what can we do so we will live? Look at the next translation here. Our rebellious acts and our sins have caught up with us. Boy, I feel like that's where we're at in America today. Our sins and rebellious acts have caught up to us. And we're wasting away because of them. Here's the question. How then can we live? That's what I want to challenge you with this morning. We got an election hanging in the balance. We don't know how things are going to pan out. I think there's going to be some some more ground to cover, some legal issues, some of those types of things we're going to be watching. But nevertheless, whatever the outcome, the question still remains, how are we moving forward? What are we going to do? The reason I love history so much is I just want to put things in context. This has not been the only dark period in our history or in the history of nations that started off with a strong Judeo-Christian worldview. That's why I love to read history. Sometimes we get so worried, we get so in a box, and we think, oh my gosh, this is the end. It's going to go from worse to worse to worse to worse. But how many of you know the mercy of God throughout history has always used the darkest times to bring about the next great awakening? Can I just encourage you? Can we put our faith in the mercy of God to bring awakening instead of in the judgment of God to bring cursing, all right, even though we deserve it? I'm just telling you God's track record. If you had to ask me, does God default on justice or on mercy? I'll tell you hands down. He defaults on mercy. He's always looking for a chance to give somebody a second chance. That's the heart of God. He's always looking, and he's listening to his remnant, his bride. How many of you know we say this in marriage class? Women are the neck that controls the head. Amen? My wife, her words are more than, it matter to me more than any other woman's words in the whole wide world. What she says to me matters more than anything. Listen, the heart of God, his head is turned by the neck, which is his bride. His bride crying out, his bride worshiping him, his bride praying, God, have mercy, standing in the gap. Don't kid yourself. Your voices matter. Your prayers matter. Your faith matters. Our collective movement towards Jesus in this time matters to this generation. And I'm just telling you, God always loves to intervene. This is from Bishop J.C. Ryle talking about George Whitfield and the times in which this great preacher of the gospel ministered. Listen to this. The times when Whitfield lived were unquestionably the worst times that have ever been known in this country since the Protestant Reformation. It is not too much to assert that this was precisely, listen, the darkest age England had passed through in the last 300 years. How many of you know that's a dark season? The fabric was falling apart. The cultural fabric of of England was falling apart. It was wicked and dark. He goes on to say, listen, I, I love this commentary on the church. The state of religion in the established church can only be compared to that of a frozen or palsied carcass. 
I like those old guys. They didn't mince words, you know? The vast majority of the sermons were miserable moral essays, utterly devoid of anything calculated to awaken, convert, save, or sanctify souls. I mean, you know, it was a dark time. But in dark times, God raises up men and women who are incredible voices of righteousness. I'm telling you this, could you be living in one of the best days where your destiny, your purpose, your identity is just being ready to be birthed, where you're able to be stand up and be a voice in this generation, where you're able to make a difference in this generation? That's what God's looking for. Don't look at the darkness and curse the darkness. Look at the light and say, you know what? For such a time as this, we're on planet Earth. This is our best hour getting ready to shape up. That's what I'm excited about. Heroes are made in perilous times. And you know, I was thinking about David's mighty men. I love, this is kind of a, this is kind of a masculine message this morning, ladies. I'm just warning you. But guys, we need men in, a, in our nation today to be strong and to lead. To lead in our families, to lead in our nation. So ladies, put up with me just for a little bit. But this is one of those testosterone-laden passages. This is like the patriot. This is like... Born identity. This is like gladiator all mixed into one message. And, all, and my wife is like, oh, do we have to watch that? Oh, please, hon, come on, get over here. Let's get the popcorn out. It's going to be great. I want to get the advice from three mighty men. And really, this is an answer that God showed me to Jason's question How now shall we live? How many of you know? When you look at the Old Testament, you look at David, he was a picture of Jesus Christ. He was an Old Testament type and shadow of Jesus himself. And you realize that the men that David gathered around him were not mighty men of valor. They started off as a bunch of broken people that were misfits and they had nowhere to go. They were depressed. They were discouraged. They were men who, who were really broken. And it reminded me, and some of you have heard me tell this story, but this is one of those defining moments that have forever shaped the way I view ministry and the way I view men. I, I was with my dad back in the day. We were meeting in, in a home in Highland. It was the early days of our church. This, none of this was here. My dad was leading a men's group. I came home from college. I went to the men's group with my dad in the car afterwards. We, we started driving home. My dad had this little twinkle in his eye. He looked at me. He said, hey, what'd you think? And this was a night that was especially raw and real and transparent. And I said to him, that is the most intense collection of brokenness and dysfunction I've ever seen gathered in one room. It was the truth. I was being a little facetious, but it was the truth. And my dad looked at me with this twinkle in his eye, and he said, those are my mighty men. <laughs> and you know what? You know what? Some of those guys are sitting here right now. They started off broken. But here's what I love about Jesus. Jesus believes in you and me in our worst day. And Jesus shed his blood to transform us into men who are men who are mighty. And, and ready for this? I believe that the shed blood of Jesus purchased a bride for his, for his son. God, God sending Jesus, purchasing a bride for Jesus through the shedding of his blood. And I believe that the power of the blood is the power to make us into the men that, dream, that Jesus always dreamed we would be. So I just want to tell you, you're in a place where there's mighty men being raised up. You might not feel like you've arrived yet. You might feel pretty broken. But I'm just telling you, we believe in you and God believes in you. And, and I'm telling you, for such a time as this, America needs you and the world needs men like you. So, so get ready for the ride of your life. I want you to look with me uh, in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 23. 
The first man is a man by the name of, of Yashab. He's given different names depending on, on uh, which, which language that we're using to translate into the Hebrew. Um, but Yashab, he was chief of the three. So I want you to see this. Out of all of David's men that gathered with him, and I want you to notice this, they stood by David during David's most difficult time. They stood by him. They were hanging out in the cave. They did a lot of cave time together. This man, out of, out of all those men, there were three that established themselves as the top three, closest to David's heart. They were warriors. This man was the chief of the three. How I many know this was one bad dude right here? This is one bad dude. It says that he raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. And that doesn't mean, we don't know the scenario. It's not like they all rushed him at once. But this man, when, when battle demanded that he fight, he raised his spear and he started taking on whoever came next. 800 men later, he's still standing. How many of you know, this is a guy you want on your team right here. This is a guy you want on your team. Every one of us has been given a spear. And every one of us in our lives, there comes a time when God calls on you to raise your spear. This is an act of faith. This is an act of declaration. Uh, some of you, your spear uh, is your mouth. It's your words. It's what you declare. How many of you know the word of God is called a sword as well? We raise this and we fight with this. We, we talk the way God talks. We think the way God thinks. Those are our weapons. You have to, at certain times in your life, you have to not shrink back, but you have to move forward, and you have to grab your spear, and you got to raise it. Now, people would have looked at this guy and said, are you nuts? What are you doing? Raising your spear. There's a, there's a formidable army coming this way, and you're standing here. Run, dude. What are you doing? But he stood his ground, and he raised his spear. And how many of you know that's all God asks us to do at times is raise our spear? We have to stand. We have to raise our spear. That, en that enables the God of glory to begin moving on our behalf. And so my first comment to Jason and to others in this room would be this. What is the spear in your hand? You remember when Moses felt over or underqualified, overwhelmed for the job, uh, God said, what do you have in your hand? And he said, I just got this shepherd's staff here. And the Lord said, throw it down. And you remember what happened? It turned into a serpent. God's asking this question to you. What is in your hand? How do you begin to see revival and reformation in this culture? Does anybody ever feel overwhelmed besides me? I'm not an insider. People are asking me all the time, Pastor, what's going to happen? Pastor, what's going to go on here? I'm just a humble guy who knows hardly nothing. I don't know. And can I just tell you this? We prophesy in faith. We speak in faith. But at the end of the day, there's only one person who knows what's going to happen, and that's God Almighty. And so, you know, we come humbly before him. I wish I was more powerful. I wish we had more money. I wish we had, I wish we could compete with mainstream media. How about that? Let's just start, we'll just start competing with mainstream media. I'd like to start a university, maybe out in the 20 acres. Let's, let's raise up a godly, Christ-centered, spirit-filled, Jesus-loving university where people are passionate about God. I would love to do that. Someone wants to write me a check for half a billion dollars, I'll take it, and we'll start doing that tomorrow. But how many of you feel it's like, oh, man, I just, I wish we had more of this, more of that. Much. Join the crowd. But here, here's my word to you. What is in your hand? What is your spear? What, how has God uniquely weaponized you? How many of you know you yourself, your body, your mind, your will, your spirit, your emotions, you are a weapon for God? Brandon, when you go out in the streets, you're preaching the gospel. 
Hell quakes. The devil's freaking out. Your lungs are a weapon. The air in your lung. What you speak when you speak the word of God is a weapon. You are a machine. You're like the bionic man or bionic woman. That dated me. Some of you going, what is that? That used to be a TV show back in the day. Anybody remember that? All right. You are a weapon in God's hands. When God gives you children, which we're going to dedicate at the end of this month, those children are weapons. They're arrows in your quiver that you shoot in the heart of the enemy. Come on. What is the weapon? The weapon God has given me. Some people have different gifts. Some people are helpers. Some people are servants. Some people build things. Some people are this, that, or the other. I have a mouth. Sometimes it gets me in trouble. Other times God uses it. But I have a mouth and I have breath. And guess what? I'm going to speak and proclaim the good news of Jesus till I die. It's a weapon. It's a dangerous weapon. What is your weapon? Take your spear. Raise it. That is your, that is your agreement with God Almighty. And how many of you know when you agree with God, powerful things begin to happen? This man raised his spear and God began to move. Let's not avoid situations where the odds are against us. I share with you, the church of Jesus Christ is a supernatural living being. If we are not seeing the supernatural, can I just tell you, we've lost our spear. Because when you raise a spear and there's 800 guys on the other side of that spear, you better know somebody is backing you up. You know what I'm talking about. If you're not raising your spear, you'll not see the glory of God. I don't know about you, but I want some stories in my life. I want to be able to tell my grandkids, hey, let me tell you when grandpa did this. Remember when we were in this bad situation? God showed up. Remember when this was happening? Grandpa raised his spear. God showed up. And kids, he'll show up for you too. That's the kind of testimonies I want. Raise your spear. Secondly, we've got to stand firm and even alone if necessary. Look at 2 Samuel 23, verses 9 and 10. Next to him was Eleazar. As one of the three mighty warriors, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines. Did you just hear that? (laughs) The reason I don't like talking to church people, I've shared this before, is because some religious people are nicer than Jesus. Did you see what David did? Eleazar, he says to Eleazar, Hey, let's go out and have some fun. What are we going to do today? We're going to taunt Philistines. (laughs) We're going to trash talk Philistines. Are you kidding me? David, wasn't he sweet? Picture him with the little lamb on his lap. Yeah, and the dude taunts Philistines for fun. Are you kidding me? Stop domesticating the Bible. Say, well, pastor, how do you know what that means? Because I read the book. Do you remember when David went out before Goliath? The little shepherd boy, remember that guy? He couldn't wear the armor, too big. He walks out there with his sack lunch, his little grilled cheese sandwich. (laughs) He's got a sling in the other hand, remember that? This little snotty-nosed kid walks out to Goliath. Who do you think you are? You remember that's in the Bible. Who do you think you are? Here's what he said. How dare you talk about the God of Israel like that? You know who you're talking to? (laughs) Here's what I think happened. He liked it. 
He liked what, Pastor? He liked taunting Philistines. He saw what God did. So what did he do next? He says, you know what? There's more battles to be fought. I think I'm going to keep speaking the truth. And I, I imagine he went out like this. What are you guys doing out here? Why do you keep messing with God's people? Don't you know we're blessed? Don't you know we're going to win? Don't you know that we're in covenant with God Almighty? Don't you know that we are going to kick your tail ends in just a moment? You all better be running in a hurry. We better tell you, get out of here now while you can. Pastor Christians should not be talking like that. Yes, we should. Listen, though, listen. We don't talk to people that way. We talk to the Lord and to the enemy that way. I can't tell you how many times I've walked in these 20 acres behind my house taunting the devil. You know when I usually taunt the devil? When he's provoking me. When he's messing with me, he's messing with my wife, he's messing with my family, he's messing with my church family, he's messing with my community, he's messing with my nation. What do I do? I go out and I start talking. Devil, I know I'm discouraged right now, and you know I'm discouraged right now, and I'm very disappointed, and I'm very hurt. I'm just, you know that, I know that. But let me just tell you the truth. As for me... I am always going to hope. And you know what? Let me just let me just turn that music on right now on my phone. Jip, download a little Carrie Job. Come on, we're gonna sing. <laughs> we're, we're gonna sing the blessing. And then we're gonna, oh, then we're gonna sing rattle to you. Just hold on. I'm I'm gonna sing it to you. I want you to hear it. And before you know it, you start getting happy on the inside. And listen to me, the devil knows his future is really bad. So remind him of it. Remind him of it. When you see your nation going the wrong direction, start taunting the Philistines. Now, I just got to tell you, if you hang out with dangerous men, you will become dangerous yourself. Saul never killed a single giant. Everybody that hung out with David, David's sons were giant killers in their own right. Here's what I want. I want to hang out with dangerous people, dangerous to the devil. And let me just tell you this too. You say, you know, pastor, I'm not sure why David really liked Eleazar. Well, let me, let me move on a little farther here. First of all, he was there when David was taunting Philistines. That really bonded. It's kind of like a fishing trip. <laughs> and then the Israelites retreated. All the other folks took off. All the other team members left. Where'd they go? But listen, Eleazar stood his ground, and he struck down the Philistines till his stinking hand grew tired and froze to the sword. And look, then the Lord brought about a great victory that day. Can I just tell you something? The Bible says that a friend is born in adversity. You know why Eleazar was one of the three? Because when everybody else took off running, this guy stood next to David taunting Philistines. That has a way of endearing somebody to your heart. You're going to go through, let me just say, in church life, you're going to go through many disappointments and battles. Can I tell you who's closest to the pastor's heart? The ones who don't run and the ones who taunt Philistines with the pastor. Because you're looking for people that have your heart, that have God's heart, and that won't run when things get rough. Can I just tell you, we're going to, as we get closer to the return of Jesus, we're going in for an amazing ride. 
And you better care more about the reputation God has for you than the newspaper or mainstream media or whatever, you know, big shot in the community. You better fear the Lord and you better care about these relationships more than any other relationship or it's not going to end well. This guy was a no-retreat kind of guy. This guy ran, did not run from the battlefield. He ran to the enemy. And here's the question I want to ask you too. Sometimes you're going to have to stand alone. One of the most formative times in my life was when I was in high school. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and God radically rocked my life. And I told the Lord this, I'm not going to compromise any longer. I'm not going to compromise my lifestyle. I'm not going to compromise my witness. Lord, I want to go all the way with you. And I want, if, if I lose all my friends, if I just have you, that's enough. I said that to the Lord. And guess what? God took me at my word. So on Friday night after the big football game, playing in front of everybody under the lights when all my friends were out doing their things and partying and doing whatever high school kids that don't know the Lord were doing, that's when I would go home into my room, put on my worship CDs, or, or not even CDs, they were cassettes, back at cassettes. And I would worship the Lord, and I would get my Bible out, and I would I just tell you, those were times were so lonely for me. I was voted friendliest senior guy and I had no friends because I loved everybody, but I got to the point in my life when I wasn't going to compromise anymore. And I told the Lord, if I lose it all and I, get, and I have you, I'll take you. And you know what? He took me up on that. And that, those, listen, those were formative years in my life because the presence of Jesus was so strong in that room. And every one of us has to die to our desire to please people and to be cool and to fit in and to be on the right side of history and all this other kind of nonsense we have to deal with. There's one person you need to please more than anything. There's one love, one relationship you need to long for more than anything. You want to be found at the side of Jesus tormenting the devil and trash-talking Satan. That's where you want to be found. That's where you want to be found. So here's my question. What battlefield are you willing to die on? You need to figure out your battlefield. If I would say something to my son, in addition, son, to figuring out what your spear is, you need to figure out where is your sphere of influence. What has God called you to? If he's called you to the marketplace, maximize the marketplace. If he's called you to be a mom and raise a great family and love your husband and love your kids, then do it with all your might. If he's called you to sell real estate, sell it for the glory of God. If he's called you into law or government or medicine or whatever he's called you into, do it for the glory of God. But listen, figure out what your, what your domain is and then stand your ground. Bring the truth of the gospel to that domain. Let me end with this. Third point, defend your ground. Figure it out, where is it, but then you've got to defend it. Look at what, what it said of Shammah. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field of lentils, this was a farmer's field, it was full of lentils, Israel's troops fled. Look at, we gotta, we're seeing a pattern here. Everybody took off. But look at verse 12, Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it, and he struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory. How many of you know that farmer's field turned into a battlefield in just a moment? And I don't know who owned the field, but I'll tell you this, Shammah acted like it was his field, so maybe it was. And I'll say this, some people are in the field, but they're all the way on the fringe, 
You know, there are, fair, there are fair weather Christians out there. You know what I'm talking about? And when the heat gets a little bit too much, they jump into the neighbor's field. They get, they get out of their field. But I'll just tell you this. You better figure out what field you're willing to fight for, and then you better get right in the center of it so the devil knows where to find you because you're not hiding in the fringes. You're right in the center of the field. If you can imagine this, you're out doing your work. You're enjoying a beautiful day like we've had yesterday and this week. It's been amazing. You're working in the yard. You look up, and there's the enemy coming over the hill trying to steal and destroy and kill. And at that moment, you're either a coward and you run, or you choose to stand up for what you know is the truth, and you get your sword, and you start waiting for the enemy to come. I love it. Can you imagine this man standing all by himself again, all by himself? Can I just remind all y'all, the Lord does not need majorities to get anything done. In fact, in fact, he prefers doing most of his work with a very small group of people because in that way he gets all the glory. So can I just encourage you? Here's what you do. You're standing in that field, and you're going, you know what? I don't know where you guys are coming, but if you think this is step number one and stop number one, the game is over here. Because here's what Christians do. We talked about this. We compromise. We give away the gospel in piecemeal fashion. Oh, well, you know what? We're, you know, we just need to be more accommodating. We, we really need to, you know, we can't impose our beliefs on other people. We, we come up with all these excuses. And really what we're doing is we're giving the devil one field at a time until he's right in the heart of the camp. I thank God for Shaman. He's like, you know what? I'm not giving you this stinking bean field, this worthless bean field. It might be nothing to you, but it's something to me. And I'm not giving you one square inch of ground. And so I would say to my son, son, get a fighting spirit. This is a message to Jason this morning. You guys just get to, get, get to sit here. Know what your sword is. Know what your ground is. Grab a hold of that sword, and you don't quit, and you don't give up, and you don't shrink back. You're going to have bigger fights than perhaps our generation, and there's going to be greater attack and greater onslaught and greater. You're going to be viewed as stupid. You're ignorant. You're on the wrong side of history. Why can't, you're, you're unscientific. You're a bigot. Uh, I, I can just fill. Just read some of my emails. I'll give you some more things. I'll say to you when I get home. That'll be all the things that the world's going to say about you. But you know what? Who cares? If you'll stand, if you'll stand, and you'll declare what God says. Come on. The Bible says, having done all, stand. This is where we're at right now in history. Having done all, stand. Stand. Stand for what? Stand in your field. Stand for what you know to be true. Don't cave in. Don't backtrack. Don't give up. Don't run. Stand your ground. Well, pastor, where do I stand my ground? Where you live, where you work, what you do. Stand. Stand up for truth. Use your weapon. Raise your sword. Raise your spear. Whatever it is that God's given you, use it. Let me end with this great word of encouragement in 2 Corinthians, and I'm reading from a paraphrase. I'm not, I'm not reading this because we're doing an in-depth study of the Greek. I'm reading this because it communicates very clearly the message from God's heart about who we're to be in this day and age. Listen to what Paul says. People are watching us as we stay at our posts. 
Can I just tell you something? I've had people that were new here that it kind of freaks me out, all right? They'll say something like this. We watch you during worship. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of creeps me out, but then I realized that they watch you during worship too. Because here's what they want to see. Is this real? Is God real? People are watching you. People are looking at you. People are examining your life. Are you going to stay at your post? Are you going to be alert? Are you going to be unswerving in your commitment? Listen to this. In hard times, in tough times, in bad times, are you going to stay at your post when you're beaten up and when you're jailed and when you're mobbed? Are you going to stay working hard, working late, working without eating? Are you going to be at your post with a pure heart, a clear head, and a steady hand? Are you going to be there in gentleness and in holiness and in honest love? When we're telling the truth and when God's showing His power, when we're doing our best, setting things right, how about this, when we're praised? What about when we're blamed, slandered, and honored? True to our word, though distrusted, ignored by the world, but recognized by God. I love the way it says it. Terrifically alive. (laughs) This is so good. We're not just alive. We're terrifically alive. You all know what I'm talking about. That's being alive in a terrific way. I'm not sure what that looks like, but I'm going to go after that one. Terrifically alive, though rumored to be dead. Can I just tell you this? There have been so many times in church history when people have prophesied the death of Christ and His church. And guess what? We're terrifically alive, and we will be forever and ever and ever. Though rumored to be dead, beaten within an inch of our lives, but refusing to die, immersed in tears, yet always filled with deep joy, living on handouts, yet enriching many. And I love the way Paul ends this, having nothing, but having it all. Because in Christ, we have the fullness of all that he is. That's, that's who we are. That's the way that we roll. So can I just tell you something in closing? We're moving forward with joy and excitement, terrifically alive. We're going to keep loving people extravagantly. We're going to keep moving in faith boldly. How many of you want to do some exploits in your life while you're alive? Be a part of a church that's seeing God move supernaturally. I want to be a part of that. So guess what? The vision keeps moving. The influence keeps growing. God's going to amplify the voice of his church. In fact, the Bible says in the last days, people are going to be flooding into the house of the Lord to hear the wisdom of God in difficult times. Now's the time of preparation. Now's the time to get your sword out, sharpen it. Now's the time to practice your speech to the enemy uh, so you can be like David and speak eloquently to the enemy. I have no doubt David was an amazing trash talker because he wrote all those songs. David's got away with words. He worshiped the Lord. He taunted Philistines. Come on, this is our finest hour that we're coming into. Irregardless of what's going on politically, this is our finest hour. Aren't you glad to be terrifically alive during such a time as this? 
So I want to encourage you as we move forward. Get excited. Find where you belong. Stake it out. Figure out what you're going to fight for. I'll tell you what. I'm going to fight for my wife. I'm going to fight for my children. I'm going to fight for this nation. I'm going to fight for my backyard right here in Lake County, Crown Point, Indiana. I'm going to fight for Jesus to be Lord. I'm going to fight for our rights. I'm going to fight for our liberties. I'm going to fight as a patriot in this country because we live in the greatest country. Fight for it and keep it that way. I'm going to fight for you. If you're attacked, we'll rally around you. I'm looking back at Lynn Reynolds, had a passion for the unborn. Praise the Lord. That's, that's his bean field. Some of you have the same passion. Some of you have a passion for the marketplace. Some of you have a passion for religious liberty. I don't know what your passion is, but you're going to find your field. You're going to stake your claim right smack dab in the middle. And God will give you the courage. And when you raise your spear, God begins to back you and begins to back who you are. And God begins to win. I'm just prophesying this to you. Get used to it. Your winners, deal with it. Your winners, deal with it. I know it's hard, but deal with it. We win, we win, we win, we win. We get knocked out, we get back up. We might lose a battle here. We win the war. We win, we win, we win. God prospers his people even in bad times. We win, we win, we win. Get that in your spirit and develop a fighting attitude. Men, I'm talking to you. In fact, I want to pray for every guy right now. If you're, if you're a man and there's one cell in your body that resonated with this message, stand to your feet. If you have a heart of a champion, you want to fight, you need courage, stand up. Father, I pray for every man that's standing right now. God, in this day and in this hour, I just pray for an infusion of Holy Spirit, boldness, and courage. Lord, may we know who we are. May we know what we've been called to do. And then may we know our battlefield, and God, let us stand and be firm in what you've called us to do. I pray for every man. He'd fight for his wife. If he's married, he'd fight for his children. He'd fight for his grandchildren. He'd fight for his future. Lord, may this be a fighting church in Jesus' name. May this be a church where we as men have rallied together and we've locked our shields for the sake of the gospel. I thank you for these guys. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the relationships we have here. And Lord, I just speak blessing on every man in this place. I want all the ladies to hop to your feet next to the guys. Now, Father, I pray for ladies. We got Deborah's in the house. We got Esther's in the house. We got women with amazing calls on their lives. Women with major spears and swords, God, that you've equipped them with for their sphere. I thank you that women are fierce and they're fighting for what they love. And I thank you for that spirit in this house even today. Lord, bless us in the season that we're living in. We continue to pray your kingdom come, your will be done, even in this election outcome and for the sake of America. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a shout of praise.